You all right? You good this morning? Yeah? It's lovely to see you. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name's Paul. Hi. I'm one of the leaders here at Central Vineyard. Um, and it really is a joy and a pleasure to see you all this morning. Um, you may be wondering why over the last few weeks, if you've not been with us um, over the last few weeks and you've, you've just come today, you might wonder whether there's just quite a few leaders missing at the moment. Just to let you know, we're launching today our new our additional site in Rawns. Uh, we're very excited about that. So Steve and Tammy and some of the other leaders are over there today with that big launch that we're doing in Rawns. So that, that's wonderful news. Okay, if you've been with us any amount of time this year, you'll know that this year we've had this, this theory of going deep and wide. And how do we go deep and wide on our journey with Jesus? How do we become more like Jesus and know Jesus more? And that's really been the theme this year. And today I've got the, the privilege of launching our new series. We've just finished a very short series on um, contending for transformation through prayer. And that's been a great, great series. But one of the things that quite often came up as part of that is, okay, so, so what kind of impact does that have on my life? What, what can I do? How does my life look a little bit different because of that. And so we're about to kick off a new series, six-week series on the good life and what that is all about and what that means. How can we live it? So what is the good life? Well, if you do a search online, you'll get plenty of opinions, let me tell you. There's one article I read claimed to have the 10 golden rules, not just 10 rules, 10 golden rules on living the good life. There are magazines that believe that they know what the good life is. We've got one here, the vegan good life. Apparently, and this is what it says on its, it, itself, vegan good life is packed with the very best in plant-based fashion travel lifestyle, art, and design. Okay, fashion, lifestyle, art and design, I can kind of see that. Travel, though. Vegan, what's vegan travel? Do you go somewhere where no, no meat or dairy has ever been eaten? Or is it the motor transport? Is the motor transport you're in doesn't have any leather seats and doesn't fly over any dairy farms or something like that? I, I'll be honest with you, I've got, I've got no clue. If anyone knows what vegan travel is, please, please let me know because I really don't know. There are also books that claim to know the secret of a good life. The New Age author Vex King has a book out called Good Vibes, Good life. How self-love is the key to unlocking your greatness. It's got to be a great seller. Which is a, it's apparently a book full of inspiring quotes, tried and tested wisdom on using positivity to create a life you love. You know what? Jesus talked some 2,000 years ago about giving us the good life. 
In fact, that's the, he said that was the reason that he came, to give us the good life. Um, but what is the good life, and how do we find it? And as I mentioned earlier, that's what we'll be exploring over the next six weeks. But first, I think it would be good just to look at what Jesus has to say on this matter. So if you have a Bible with you, whether that's electronic or physical, get it out now just to make sure I'm not making it up as I go along. And if not, we will have the verses up on the side. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. You ready? Those who've got your Bibles, you there? Okay. It's quite a long uh, 10 verses we're going to go through, but just, just stick in there. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief. Thief? Thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said that he came that we may have life and have it abundantly, an abundant life. What does that mean? Well, the NIV, that was the ESV version, the NIV says it calls it a full life. The NLT, the New Living Translation, says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The message translation says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. What does an abundant, full, rich, satisfying life, a a life better than we could ever dream of, mean? What does it look like? Let us consider first what I believe those in the Western world probably most of the world, actually, would view as the paths to a good life. First, the path of material accumulation. I think that many people think that the way to a better life is to accumulate more wealth, more things. Forbes magazine, if you've not heard of it, it's a a business magazine that regularly looks at business millionaires and billionaires, had an article called Cost of Living Extremely Well, The Price of the Good Life. It then goes on to detail how much it really costs to have the good life by listing the cost, and this is 
important. These are the essential things for a good life, okay? And, and the costs of them. These are the things that they listed for an essential for a good life. Private swimming pools, tennis courts, private school for the kids, yachts, both motor and sailing, of course, luxury cars, private jets, helicopters, thoroughbred racehorses. Oh, and my favourite, essential items for the good life, according to Forbes magazine. Cosmetic surgery and psychiatrist bills. <laughs> Says it all, really, doesn't it? And, I know, and although I think that many of us do not aspire to be billionaires, I think it is true to say that our vision of the good life is having enough money to do what you want or to buy what you like. To have a nice car and a really nice home to have economic security for the future. The good life for many people means a comfortable retirement. But if that's true, if, the, if that is what the good life is, then the following question immediately comes to mind. Is the good life only attainable by a small percentage of people in prosperous developed countries? Or a ridiculously tiny percentage of all the people in the world. When Jesus said in John 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, was he only speaking to the so-called 1%? If material accumulation is what is required to have a good life, are we saying that you can't have a good life if, for example, you're a single parent struggling to make ends meet? Or... Is the good life denied to a 20-something who has significant student debt? Or are you shut out from Jesus' offer of a good life if you're 58 years old and don't have a huge retirement savings plan? I think most of us, though, would associate the good life with feelings of contentment, an overall life of satisfaction. And when you think about the times when you were really content... Have they mostly been associated with having a lot of stuff? Or have they been associated with the people you are with? There are many things that indicate that material accumulation as a way to the good life is simply a myth. It's just not true. Are people with 300 shirts really happier than those with 20? Does more really mean better? The Beatles said that money can't buy love, but I would suggest that actually money can't buy us happiness either. Once we have our basic needs met, surely more doesn't mean better. In the Bible, there are two different Greek words in the New Testament for this English word that we translate as life. The first Greek word is bios, there we go, and bios is biological life, material life. But there is a second Greek word, which John uses repeatedly, and it's the Greek word zoe, which means eternal life, spiritual life. Zoe is the word 
which is used by Jesus in that verse, in that passage that we just read in John 10.10. It's Zoe that Jesus promised to his followers. We see Zoe used in John 1.4 when speaking of Jesus. It says, in him, Jesus, was life, Zoe. And the Zoe was the light of men. Spiritual life can only be found in Jesus Christ. And I believe that it is the neglect of Zoe, of spiritual life, that makes those in Europe and in America so unhappy. We constantly think that if we have more bios, more material life, then we will be satisfied. Because the message that we constantly hear from every marketer, from every advertiser, is essentially that we are just material. Every advertisement is about bios, about your body, about feeding your body, pampering your body, adorning, comforting, relaxing your body, exercising, I've clearly heard that one, clothing, satisfying your body. It's all bios. And the message that we get from the advertisers is that so long as you cater to bios, your material life, your biological life, you will live the good life. Yet, we find wealthy people taking antidepressants, committing suicide, because no matter how much stuff they have, it's never enough. The author and Nobel Prize winning psychologist Daniel Kahneman said this about money and happiness. Money does not bring happiness. People overrate the joy-bringing effect of money. He went on to back this up with some facts that he'd found in his own research. He said that increments in income have a relatively brief effect on life satisfaction. The wealthier people are, the more intense negative emotions they experience. He also said that studies have found there is no link between wealth and greater experienced rather than perceived happiness. And he said, when countries experience a sudden increase in income, there is not a corresponding increase in the citizen's sense of well-being. The Bible tells us that we need more than bios. We need zoe, spiritual life. Jesus says this to us over and over again. Jesus points out the distinction between Bios and Zoe when he speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well. He tells her in John 4.13 these words. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Zoe. C.S. Lewis, the Oxford English professor and author of the well-known Chronicles of Narnia, also wrote some fantastic books on Christianity. I think his best book and my personal favourite of his books is Mere Christianity. In it, he wrote about Zoe using the analogy of the petrol engine. 
maybe slightly less relevant today with the Tesla and a crop of uh, electric cars emerging on the scene, but I still think that the analogy is sound. Lewis said this, God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing as happiness without God. Using Lewis's analogy, the problem is people try to pour into their engine something other than God. And that is why the engine splutters and conks out. What are you pouring into your engine to fuel your life? Is it Zoe, life from God? Or is it just more bios, more material, more stuff? So if material accumulation doesn't bring the good life, what about fame? What about the path of fame? Let's look again at John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus talks about a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I think we can all agree that there are many things that can steal life from us. Just a few that I can think of is addiction to alcohol, drugs, pornography, addiction to gambling, shopping, video games. Social media, maybe less obvious, is addiction to food and people's approval. There are lots of thieves that steal the good life away from us. One of those thieves is the pursuit of fame, becoming a celebrity. We live in a culture that literally craves celebrity, being famous, being known, from reality TV shows to YouTube vloggers and social media influencers. People crave to be known, to be famous. But how many times have you heard in the news of famous actors or performers who, despite all of their talent, all of their money, all of their fame, end up being depressed, in and out of rehab, or even taking their own lives? Does, anyone, does everyone know who Jim Carrey is? Hands up. A few of you, not all of you are as old as me, I think. Um, he's famous for a bunch of films in the 90s and the noughties, things like Dumb and Dumber, Liar Liar, The Truman Show, Bruce Almighty, just to name a few. Listen to what he said a couple of years ago. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. It's not the answer. Perhaps the most poignant statement 
about fame, though, was shared by a man who most people would say has it all. We have a picture. Yes, my lookalike, Brad Pitt. <laughs> At least that's what Esther tells me. <laughs> Brad has been repeatedly voted sexiest man alive, just like me. Um, he was previously married to Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie. He's got the fame. He's got the wealth. Listen to what Brad Pitt said in an interview with Rolling Stone magazine a few years ago. He said this. Man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us. The car, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? If you ask me, I say toss all this. we got to find something else because all I know is that at this point in time, we are heading for a dead end, a numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of the spiritual being. And I don't want that. Then the Rolling Stone interviewer asked, so if we're headed towards this kind of existential dead end in society, what do you think should happen? Here's Brad Pitt's answer. Hey, man. I like the hey, man. <laughs> hey, man. I don't have those answers yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it. I'm telling you, that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything, I know. But I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better and you don't wake up any better because of it. Your bios, your stuff, your fame, your recognition by the public, it will not provide you with Zoe, spiritual life the good life that Jesus came to bring. So material accumulation and fame doesn't bring you the good life, doesn't bring you Zoe. Maybe the third path that people think will bring them the good life will, and that's the path of expressive individualism. Berkeley University sociologist Robert Bella in his book Habits of the Heart coined this phrase, expressive individualism. And expressive individualism is a philosophy that's becoming more and more prominent in the popular culture these days. And even if you have never heard of that term before in your life, you would have heard the slogans that are associated with it. Slogans like, you be you, be true to yourself, follow your heart, learn to love yourself, find yourself, I'm not going to live a lie. And my favorite, I am strong, I am beautiful, I am me. <laughs> One relatively concise definition of expressive individualism is as follows, and this is the concise definition, so give me, give me a break. <laughs> Expressive individualism is the belief that an individual's highest loyalty should be to himself or herself. True happiness from this perspective is obtained by the expression and realization of one's core identity, which includes a person's deepest desires, thoughts, and beliefs. 
To expressive individualist social and moral tradition should only discourage behaviors that result in demonstrable harm to others or behaviors that hamper another person's ability to freely express their personal identity. Maybe you can recognize that expressive individualism more in society now. The BBC published an article on their website at the end of last year titled, How to Make 2019 the Year You Learn to Love Yourself, the Guide to Being a Happier Person. This article was all about expressive individualism. The idea is that I need to express who I am if I'm going to live the good life. And you know what? There is an element of truth in that. There's absolutely something right about wanting to be authentic and not wanting to live a lie. There's something right and good about not wanting to conform, not wanting to be squeezed into a preset mold. No one wants to be a square peg that is pounded by society into a round hole. And Jesus actually affirms, I believe, in John 10, the need for each of us to live out our individually tailored destinies, to live according to our unique wiring. Jesus says that an essential element of living the good life is discovering the unique path that God has for each of us. John 10, 3, 4 says, To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The theologian D.A. Carson, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, said this about those verses. The sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. That he calls his own sheep presupposes that several flocks are in the fold. The shepherd calls out his own. Near Eastern shepherds have been known to stand at different spots outside the enclosure and sound their own peculiar calls, their own sheep responding, responding and gathering around the shepherd. This shepherd goes further. He calls out his own sheep by name, which at least means that he calls them individually and thus leads them out. The shepherd in, the Jesus, in Jesus' story here knows each of the sheep intimately. He calls each of the sheep out personally onto their own unique path in life. I think the personal call by name suggests that the good life is not mass-produced in a factory the good life is more individually created. It's hand-shaped by a craftsman. You and I are one of a kind. Each of us is unique, hand-shaped by God in the womb, which is why the core definition that we will be using for the good life throughout this series is simply this. Click. The good life is living the life God created you to live. So expressive individualism is right in wanting people to live authentic lives, 
in wanting people to follow a unique, individually tailored path. The life God created you to live is going to be at least a little bit different than the path for everyone else. But where expressive individualism goes wrong is suggesting that you and I can and must create that individual path for ourselves. So what is wrong with us looking inside ourselves, deciding what path we ought to take? What's wrong with looking inside yourself and choosing to express that self? Well, many things, and I just want to highlight a few. First, which self do you choose? I don't know about you, but I think I have many selves. No, I don't mean multiple personalities. At least I don't think so. I'll have a chat with myself later to find out. The point is, is that we're all balancing different selves. I have my short-term self who wants instant gratification now, usually involving food, beer, lack of exercise. But my long-term self wants to save money and reduce my waistline. And I think you can all observe my short-term self is winning at the moment. Or there is my father, husband self, and there is my work in a corporate organization self. I don't be like, behave at home the way I do at work, and vice versa. Every time we make a decision at home, I don't call a meeting and then have Esther take minutes for the record. Although that might be a good idea. <laughs> so when I look inside myself, which self do I choose? Another issue with expressing my inner self is that there is an assumption within expressive individualism that humans are inherently good. That our desires are always good. And I hope we all know that that isn't true. The Bible makes that clear. James 1, 14 to 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has, been, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So maybe following our own desires is not a great idea. And finally, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be God-centered, Jesus-centered, not me-centered. Expressive individualism would have us look deep into our hearts to discover our inner essence and express that to the world. It says that we should look inward, whereas I believe that the gospel says that we are to look upward. In an expressive individualist society like ours, easy for me to say, that message is very, very countercultural. So, what do we do? What is the solution to achieving the good life? Actually, Jesus for me describes what I think is the deepest problem with expressive individualism in John 10. He tells us in an ever so gentle way that to be human is to be a follower. That we are all sheep following someone. We either follow a good shepherd 
who cares about us and leads us out onto our own individual paths to life, or we follow a false shepherd who in the end will rip us off, who wants something from us, not for us. Expressive individualism presumes that we can chart our own path without being influenced by the culture and the world that we are in. And that simply isn't true, no matter how hard you might try. We human beings are social animals. There are enormous, powerful forces out there shaping our vision of the good life. Those influences can come from our parents, our families, our friends, but they also come from the media and advertising firms who are even now working out what the next big thing is that we all need to have to have a good life. So the path to the good life is not found by material accumulation or money. The path is not found by celebrity and fame. And the path is not found by expressive individualism. It's not found by looking inside and being true to yourself because there are many selves in there. Many of them put in there by our culture, celebrities, marketing companies, by people who want something from us. I believe the good life is found by finding a role model you totally admire and imitating that model by finding a shepherd whose voice you can trust and following after that voice. I want to suggest to you today that you'll not find a better model of, of someone who lived the good life than Jesus Christ, who knows each of us by name. He walks before us. He calls us out onto our own individualized paths. And as you follow him, as you follow your shepherd, you will discover the good life, living the life God created you to live.